Hi, Father Ian Van Heusen here. This is the Art of Living Well podcast, where I just take an opportunity to kind of explore content that I get into on my website, but in this kind of audio format where I just kind of flesh things out a little bit more, kind of go a little bit more in depth. So what I kind of want to get into today a little bit is I want to talk a little bit about my theories on um, confession and spiritual direction and how that works. Now, I, I will say a word of uh, at the beginning of this, which is right now I'm, I'm kind of full in terms of people I can accept for spiritual direction. Um, the, the difference is I can a little bit for parishioners at St. Peter's or at ECU Newman um, if, they, if they want to meet for spiritual direction or spiritual counseling. But at this point, uh, I'm not really able to, to help out those folks outside of my particular assignment. So I just want to say that up front because I know a lot of times people um, are seeking spiritual direction. I think that's a good thing. Now, I will say this. For most people, I think, you know, before I would even think about doing spiritual direction with somebody, I would want them to go to confession on a regular basis. So why don't we start first with some of my theories on confession, and then what we'll do is we'll kind of move into uh, spiritual direction a little bit and just kind of flesh things out a bit. So starting off with confession. So it's it's pretty straightforward what I'm looking for, and you know, the first thing I'm always trying to discern with somebody is, are they committing mortal sin? Are they falling into mortal sin? Or have they gotten into that, that sweet spot where they're, they're no longer committing mortal sin? So that's always kind of the first question that kind of pops up. So let's start off with that a little bit. So mortal sins, if you go through your Ten Commandments, if you, um, if you do... Now, sometimes examinations of conscience can be a little thorough where they get into a lot of stuff that might be venial sin or might be gray areas depending on their intent. But I kind of looked for the, for the obvious things, you know, things like sexual sins, um, infidelity, stealing, cheating, um, lying. Uh, lying's a little bit depends on the circumstances. But where somebody um, is just still struggling um, with some of those big sins, um, they, they haven't made the commitment to daily prayer, to a relationship with the Lord, to Sunday Mass, to Holy Days of Obligation. Those are some of just kind of the big obvious things. And what I start to look at first with when somebody's struggling with mortal sin is I try to focus on adapting habits. So that's something I really look at. So the questions I ask people, you know, are you praying with scripture? Um, that That's something, especially if somebody is not particularly stressed out, but the, the, they really, really, really don't seem to understand the depths of who God is or the depths of, of understanding how God speaks to us. You know, we gotta we gotta nourish the intellect with with scripture. We gotta get them familiar with the scriptures or some kind of study, the catechism, things like that. We gotta fill the mind. Now, what I also start to look at is if somebody is falling into mortal sin, is how do they deal with their stress? So, how are they processing their day? How how are they examining their heart? Um, you know, that's where I know it's a little bit controversial right now. And if you look at my other content, I address this. But I start to look at some habits of meditative activities, things like mindfulness, integrated into a robust uh, prayer life. So I start to look at those those habits of holiness is what I call it. So scripture, some kind of reflective activity, exercise, some kind of way of processing our stress and helping to cultivate stillness. So that's kind of the, the first thing I start to look at with people is dropping bad habits by adding new habits. Now, what a lot of people then start to find out is that as they overcome mortal sin exteriorly, then the battle becomes more interior. I, I've dealt with this recently with some content where I talked about the fact 
that once the, the enemy can no longer get us to sin outwardly, he tries to attack us in our memories. He tries to attack us in, in our thoughts. So if he can't get us to sin um, exteriorly, he gets us to be upset with the fact that we're being tempted. Or he tries to exasperate our thinking by getting us to spin our wheels a lot. This is where the further refinement, um, once we've overcome mortal sin, really needs to take place in the context of discernment. So I've created some content on that. I'm going to continue to create content on discernment. The, the best way to look at it is the Rules of Discernment by St. Ignatius, uh, which I did a live uh, Facebook Live on that. I'm also looking at maybe doing some podcasts with my sister. I'm not exactly sure. We're thinking of doing a commentary on the first week rules and then the second week rules. So what I try to do is I try to get people to really connect with their experience. Mindfulness is a part of that discernment. Learning to discern what you're thinking, feeling, and desiring. Is it the work of the enemy? Is it the work of the Holy Spirit? And trying to see those cycles. Now, I will say this. There are some people I've encountered where they may not be sinning with mortal sin, but they're not really able to overcome the thought traps. That Their patterns, their negative patterns of thinking, feeling, and desire are so entrenched that they're really not able to overcome the desolations. That's when I start to look at um, does a person need counseling? Does they need? Do they need therapy? Do they need some other tools? You know, we also start to look at healing of memories. Um, I've, I've I've worked with people um, a lot, so that's one of the neat things. Um, as a priest, and when you get a reputation for being somebody who's into spiritual direction, into prayer and meditation, you start to get a lot of requests, which is a, is a blessing and a curse. Uh, I have enjoyed it, though, and I've just learned a lot. I've probably done over five, 600 hours of, of spiritual direction, counseling, um, working with people. Of course, I'm not a psychologist, but I come from that background of spiritual direction, which I studied um, for my master's thesis and kind of really immersed myself in. And I have seen it a few times now where I refer to somebody for therapy and counseling when, when it, the pattern develops that they can't overcome their desolations. They can't overcome those thought traps. What they need is they need some other tools. And what we have to look at is can they be given those tools by a psychologist in the therapy context? So, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy, some kind of tools to overcome the desolation, to overcome the thought traps. Or is it something like chemical that they really can't overcome it without some kind of medication? That's at least my theory on the integration of psychology and counseling into the spiritual direction, is I really start to look at it when somebody can't overcome a thought trap. So what do I mean by this? Um, let's say somebody has persistent patterns to their thinking where there's really never signs of consolation. Um, so let me kind of, I'm thinking I should maybe even pull up that. So the, the definition of consolation versus desolation. Consolation are increases in faith, hope, and love increases in spiritual freedom, where we're not ruled by disordered emotions. Also, uh, greater stillness, greater peace, but also within the context of consolation can be experiences such as contrition. So true contrition, um, true sorrow for sins that's freeing and helps us connect with the Holy Spirit. In contrast, desolation is kind of worldly thoughts. It's kind of negative patterns. Or And the thing is, is we will always all experience consolations and desolations on a regular basis. What happens is not so much that we don't experience desolations anymore. We don't experience those worldly anxiety, anxious thoughts or just, you know, even sometimes when the passions are activated, when strong emotions um, threaten to override our reason or, or threaten to rob us of peace, 
feelings of anger, uh, fear, um, whatever it might be, we will all experience that from time to time. The saint is not somebody who doesn't not experience their emotions or does not experience desolation. What it is, is they've learned strategies to, to not allow their thinking to become disordered in the midst of desolation, to kind of hold steady and to hold still. So that's now we're starting to get into a little bit more is that spiritual direction component. And there is an overlap between confession and spiritual direction. When I'm working with somebody in the confessional, as they're they're progressing, they're not being weighed down by mortal sin anymore, we start to get into this fine-tuning. And it's just giving people little strategies um, to work against the thought traps. So um, some strategies that St. Ignatius gives that I give are things like examining your heart um, by the Ten Commandments and the Seven Deadly Sins. That seems antithetical, right? Because initially when we think of desolation, we think you're kind of spinning your wheels. You're kind of over and over again kind of ruminating on all your mistakes. But what I've seen in myself and I've seen in other people is there can be a tendency in the midst of desolation to really not quite um, not be seeing things clearly and, and not recognizing that we're persevering in a state of grace. So when we slow down and we look at the objective standard of the seven deadly sins and the Ten Commandments, we go, oh, okay, this thought pattern is, is not good. Um, I need to work against it, but I, I'm objectively persevering in a state of grace. And that gives us strength and that gives us courage. Uh, to recognize that even if our life may be a little bit chaotic in the moment, if we're persevering in a state of grace, that's incredibly important. And I want to come back to that a little bit more. So another strategy I give, take something like a devotion, like the rosary. Um, Take the Jesus prayer and say, for the next half hour, I'm not going to think about this. I'm going to pour myself into the rosary. I'm just going to immerse myself in the prayers, in the meditations, and, and try as much as possible to work against the thought traps. Uh, I find that I can I find that very fruitful at times. Those are just a few strategies. There's other strategies as well, but the the key a lot of times is just discerning, and then experimenting with ways uh, in our psychology, in our prayer life of of working against the desolation. So, I've been getting into a little bit. You know, I talked about confession. I talked about the further refinement. You know, so the question then becomes, well, what, what exactly is spiritual direction? You know, spiritual direction, I think, takes on a, a few different components. One thing that is really powerful about spiritual direction is you kind of have a longer conversation. Normally, the sessions are about an hour, 45 minutes to an hour. Um, they can be shorter, sometimes a half hour, just depending on how much needs to be said. And just the, that ability of verbalizing things out loud um, in that spiritual conversation. You know, I, I, I think for a lot of people, um, the, the reality is, is there's not going to always be enough people that are trained explicitly in how to do spiritual direction. So sometimes even spiritual friendships can help with this. So if you have a small group Bible study, or if you're a member of a small group, or if you have a few spiritually minded friends, in those spiritual conversations, as you're expressing things out loud and you're hearing things, it kind of helps you to formulate things. There's a saying um, I heard from one of my professors at St. Charles. He said, you really haven't learned something until you first taught it, um, which I'm starting to see now as, a, as I'm now a priest, I'm learning way more about the spiritual life because I'm creating so much content. I'm teaching about the spiritual life pretty much on a consistent basis. So yeah, I did my master's thesis. I, I did a lot of formal studies in seminary, but it wasn't until I started teaching it. Now, of course, 
all of us aren't going to be able to teach. We're, we're not necessarily called to do that. But in that small group context, in those spiritual conversations, we start to talk about things and process them and formulate them and put our own words to them. Um, so the spiritual direction is can be helpful, but also just spiritual conversations with our spouses, with spiritual friends, talking about the spiritual life and, and kind of delving into topics. Um, to, to be honest with you, I think one of the things you guys are going to start to see with this podcast is having my sister on is... A lot, well, you know, big part of our theory on how we're going to be doing the podcast was we're just going to be taking our conversations that we have on a regular basis and kind of sharing them with everybody else. Um, it's funny, actually, uh, you know, the first few podcasts with my sister, it, it didn't feel as natural, of course, as our, our regular conversations. Um, but in the context of I had ongoing spiritual direction, ongoing confession, um, and then spiritual friendship, not just my sister, but I have priest friends and, and other friends where we just, we talk consistently about the spiritual life and, and about that kind of inward journey, um, that, that kind of movement to the heart. And it's really in that context where you learn a lot more. So you even look at some of the classical works of spirituality, things like John Cashin. He, um, in his conferences, the, the format is this kind of spiritual conversation. I, I've often envisioned that perhaps the, the, the early monasticism, the way they chewed on things, and the way they formulated their teaching was in that kind of group conversation um, where the, the students would talk and ask questions and, and the master would kind of explain the spiritual life. So I'm kind of giving you a little bit there, talking about confession, talking about spiritual direction. So, again, the, the big thing starts to become that in those conversations, so we overcome mortal sin, then we start to overcome venial sin and attachments. Another thing that can start to happen, um, this is something I also meant to talk about, is uh, the healing of memories. That, that can be uh, particularly um, helpful. Uh, what happens is, so a lot of times our desolations and our thought traps are tied with false scripts that we've told ourselves for a long time, um, lies about ourselves, about our situation. And these often are connected with painful memories or with trauma or just some pattern in our life from early on. I, I don't know exactly if it falls the same way for everybody, but I have seen on a pretty consistent basis that once people start to do that work of praying with the Lord, spending time reflecting on their experience, connecting with God's Word, eventually memories start to surface. And a lot of times, then what we have to do is we have to look at strategies to kind of to bring healing in those memories. So what I kind of give people the idea is um, the Desert Fathers in the field of Kalia, they would talk about passion thoughts and passion feelings. Um, and, and I would say add to that passioned memories. So there's a kind of a memory or a thought or a feeling, of course, that's very charged. So when you have the memory, the, the key to when we need to he experience healing around our memories is when the thought of a memory evokes strong emotions and, and not just um, disordered emotions, things that override our reason. So what we, we then need to do is we need either with the help of counseling or on our own, we need to develop strategies to kind of enter into that memory and to kind of release the charge, release the the strong emotion tied with that memory. And as we experience that healing, as that starts to take place, then what happens is our hearts begin to rest. I, 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 I talk about this mostly from experience. 
Um, for me, there was, there was always memories that I needed to experience healing around. There was one particular memory that I'm not going to get into, a couple of memories from, from when I was younger, that I had one particular retreat in which I experienced that healing, where I went into the memory um, with the help of some spiritual direction, with the help of imaginative exercises, and kind of in that solitude of the retreat experience. And I'll tell you what, once I addressed that memory and addressed the thought traps that were connected with it and experienced healing around it, I felt like a million dollars. I mean, it was really an incredible experience. So, you know, a lot of this stuff that I'm talking about and discussing is very much the fruit of my experience. I, I, I have wished, you know, it's one of those things, I think one of the challenges of where I'm at now in life is I wish I had more time to, like, get a lot of official degrees that I could then, like, you know, put like official titles on on my my thinking on all of this stuff but I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon um, I'm pretty sure I, I'm going to be a, a grunt in the field uh, for the rest of my priesthood so you know kind of a pastor now at ECU Newman assistant just kind of in the field day by day and and I've seen in my own experience but then working with people these patterns play over and over again um, so you know, I, I'm always curious if, like, if there's psychologists listening or if there's other people, their thoughts on these topics. Maybe I'll even talk with Dr. Bataro, Greg Bataro about this. Um, but I've just seen it over and over again. So I think this is going to be an ongoing conversation. To be honest with you, there's not a whole lot of good content right now that really gets at the overlap between psychology and spirituality. There's plenty of people who tried it. Um, there's There's really no established way right now that we can say for certain the the field of psychology is just developing so fast and and I think um, I don't think that it adds anything new to our spirituality I think many of these things were present in the past um, but you know one of the the dynamics that's happened for me at least um, in my growing up in the Catholic world and learning is a big part of my formation has been rediscovering things from the past. Um, maybe that weren't as talked about as much in seminary, um, kind of retrieving a lot of classical Catholic notions. Um, but the challenge is, is that we, we read these texts, but we, we think we understand them. But we're, we're kind of always coming at it from a different time perspective. So we always need to have a certain humility when approaching texts, you know, like I'm, I'm right now getting a lot into St. Alphonsus Liguori. And just trying to always be humble when I'm, I'm approaching those texts. Humble, but also confident that as much as um, things may not be ideal right now in the Catholic Church, and that's a tough one. I say things aren't ideal. We know that there can be a little bit of confusion. People can struggle. But what I've been convinced of is that in every generation, the Lord provides for his people. And, and he provided for me in my formation. There were incredibly holy priests who taught me. Maybe they didn't teach me everything I talk about, but they taught me th that kind of voice of the shepherd, that interior harmony with the voice of the shepherd is what I would say they taught me. And we do learn that from our from our elders. You know, Whether they taught me all the ins and outs of things I discuss, maybe not all one teacher taught me everything I've learned, but they really taught me that interior harmony, which then allows me to properly understand a lot of these texts and properly listen to other people as well. They taught me that ability to hear the voice of the shepherd and hear that voice of consolation. I, that, that, that's one of the things I would leave you with. All of this leads us to that encounter with the voice of the shepherd, 
to encounter the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. I think that's incredibly important. You know, overcoming sin, overcoming the thought traps, but then also in that positive sense is connecting with inspiration, authentic inspiration, discerning true consolation, discerning that gentle voice of the shepherd. That's the spiritual direction and all of the confession is to lead us to that encounter. So thank you for listening. This has been uh, Father Ian Van Heusen, the Art of Living Well podcast. Do me some favors, y'all. Um, if you're listening, um, write a review on, on the podcast. That, that helps um, people to find it. Please consider sharing maybe the website, ianvanheusen.com. Um, just, you know, I, I'm hoping that you're kind of buying into this, um, that I, I'm loving interacting with audience. I'm loving the feedback. I'm not always able to respond as much as I would like to everything I receive, but I'm incredibly appreciative for your guys' time and your, your effort. And just consider that. Um, there's little things that you can do by writing reviews, um, being honest about that, and um, and then just sharing the content. Hopefully th- this is you know good content for you and for your friends and for your family. So thank you for listening. This is the Art of Living Well podcast. Thank you.